be here. Um, you don't know who I am, uh, so I'm going to give you a little bit of help with that uh, and just give you... Uh, Every missionary, every evangelist probably puts out a newsletter. So I'd like to give you one. I've got some ushers helping me out here with this. And if you'd like more information than this, uh, there's just a little table at the back that has this and has a little bit more. So if you guys could go right now and just give some of those out, and I'll give you a little bit of a bio just so that you know who we are. This is my wife, Kimberly, and uh, we have been married for... 29 years this summer, and so, uh, and so uh, we've both been serving in ministry most of our, pretty much entirely our married life. Uh, 17 years, both of us at Saskatoon Christian Center, I was the outreach director there for that length of time, and then uh, we planted a church in Saskatoon's inner city uh, in 2001, and so there was a few years of overlap, and so for the last uh, 14 years, 15 years, we've been in the hood in Saskatoon, and so 20th Street, uh, we we started in a small building, and then God gave us another one. He gave us a he gave us a nightclub, and then he gave us a bingo hall. And so uh, we put the bingo hall and the nightclub out of business by making them become the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, so if you're ever in Saskatoon and you come down to 20th, 20th and Avenue H, and there's a building with 170 feet, I think it is, of graffiti, we put it there on purpose. We had Christian artists cover the side of our building. Better that than having the world cover it with a bunch of stupid stuff. So we, we've got on purpose uh, a wall of graffiti that says, you know, Christ on the cross in the middle of it. And and so, uh, so for the last 15 years, we've been there. My wife oversees the kitchen ministry. We feed a lot of people. We feed thousands of people, literally. And, uh, and so she oversees that. And then I oversee some of the outreaches. I've been a chaplain in prison for a long time. And uh, we do outreaches on the streets. And we've helped people who are addicted. And, and uh, the last five years, though, uh, what you have in front of me, and if you can make a promise, don't read this while I'm preaching. <laughs> read it when you get home. I don't know if you can promise that or not. Some of you will violate that promise very quickly. Uh, but... Uh, uh, um, the last five years, God has really released me and my pastor that I work with down at City Center. He's released me also because they recognized that there was a call in my life. I've, I've been doing outreach my whole life. And so uh, Canadian Fire Missions was birthed. And, and so God's opened doors in nations all around the world. Uh, it's an interesting thing because my wife and I sort of made an un, uh, a kind of a confession uh, all our married lives, we made this confession, not realizing it was sort of a confession. And one day, it really was going to come to pass. But everybody always knew that nations and missions was in our hearts. And we'd make this confession. We'd say, when our kids are done school, God's going to open up the nations to us. And uh, we were in a church that was very strongly uh, focused on home and family life. And so that's ingrained inside of us. And so I wasn't going to abandon my kids to go reach somebody on some other uh, continent. Uh, and so as my kids were growing up, as sure as when the last child graduated, sure enough, doors began to open and doors began to open and doors began to open. So this last four or five years, uh, we've been traveling around. And it's challenging, I'll just be honest with you, because we're, God sent me to world missions from an inner city mission. So our church in itself is a mission. Half our church is on welfare. Like half our church are people who are struggling themselves. And from that, he sent me to the nations. But you know what? He's God. And he could do anything from anywhere. And so, so just even in the last five or six months, you know, since last summer, my wife and I were in Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand in August, July and August. And then in September, I was in Colombia. In October, I was in Uganda. Uh, December, I came home. <laughs> uh, January, I was in Dominican Republic for a couple of weeks. So we're back at the end of this month. We're going to Israel. Uh, in May, we're going to Uganda and Rwanda. In Romania, uh, Romania, we're taking a team there in 
August. And then in the fall, I'm back to Africa, to Malawi and Zambia. And so all of these are awesome opportunities. You're going to find I'm a little bit different. I, I don't know if other evangelists have been here like Mark Davy. My call is exactly as Pastor Jonathan said, is to equip the saints so they can do. Uh, I'm not calling you to all become Reinhard Bonkies or Billy Grahams, but I'm calling you to do what you can in Lloydminster, in your city, in your town, and that God wants to equip you to touch people and impact people's lives. And so I pray that today would be a day where you can uh, receive from God because he's got something for you. When I just heard about the pajamas, I just love traveling to other places and hearing what God does in different places. And, and I just love that. I was in a church a couple of months ago. Uh, many of you might know Pastor Gary Mason, Gary and Beth down in Medicine Hat, and uh, how, how much they reach into the racing community in Medicine Hat, the, the Medicine Hat Speedway. And, and one of the men in their church is the chaplain at their church. And I was at another church in Saskatchewan just a little while ago. And uh, this pastor says, hey, you want to go to a hockey game? I said, sure. He says, I'm the chaplain for this hockey team. I said, that's awesome. And God wants to open doors in your community. And the things that are inside of your lives, uh, they're there for a reason. You're gifted with the things that you're gifted with on purpose by God. You have those gifts from heaven to swing doors open into people's hearts and into people's lives. Amen? Amen. Well, let's get into the Word of God here. Father, I thank you for the Word Church and Lloyd, and I thank you for, for Brownie and, and David, uh, uh, Jonathan and Tia, I should say. Uh, thank you for David. He's rejoicing in heaven as he's looking over this. <laughs> thank you for that. I thank you, Father God, for this opportunity to share your Word today, and I pray, Father God, that this room would be filled with willing, receptive hearts, that your Spirit would move in this place. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So 2 Kings chapter 4, I'm going to read you five or six, seven verses. Did we find this? If you can't, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, HCSB. And so let's look at 2 Kings chapter 4, if you have a Bible with you today. And let's read a story. And Pastor Jonathan actually just mentioned this a minute ago. And so uh, it says, one of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband has died. You know that your servant feared the Lord. Now the creditor's coming to take my two children as his slaves. Elisha asked her, what can I do for you? And she said, I'm on, I'm on 2 Kings 4 verse 2 now. She said, uh, Elisha asked her, what can I do for you? She says, tell me, what do you have in the house? I want you to remember that question. He asked her a question. He said, he said what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing except for a jar of oil. Nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. Then he said, go and borrow empty containers from everyone. From all your neighbors, do not, just get, do not get just a few. So then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all these containers and set the full ones to one side. And so she left. And after she had shut the door behind her and her sons, they kept bringing her containers and she kept pouring. And when they were full, she said to her son, bring me another container. But he replied, there aren't any more. Then the oil stopped. That's the saddest part of the story. Uh, then the oil stopped. And so she went and told the man of God, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So how many of you heard the story before? You know, God provided supernaturally through a word given to the prophet Elijah, uh, Elisha to uh, a wife of one of the sons of the prophets. This woman was in uh, a financial crisis, uh, uh, debt, and she went to Elisha with her crisis. And then Elisha asked a question to her. He asked her, what do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? You know, God will always use what we have to help us get what we need. 
He's not going to ever just, you know, you never hear of a story in the scriptures where God snaps his fingers and out of nothing he creates something. He's always speaking a word that out of his word something comes. But, or, or, or he'll take something in our life and he'll make something out of what we think sometimes is nothing. But he'll always use what we have to get us what we need. And so I think of a parallel story that when God called Moses to uh, lead Israel, uh, Moses wasn't sure that the people would listen to him. Do you remember the story? And you remember what God said uh, to him then? He said, what's in your hand? You know, to this woman, Elisha said, hey, what's in your house? But in this situation, he says, hey, what's in your hand? And he says, a rod is in my hand. He says, throw it on the ground. And so he throws this, this rod on the ground. It turns into a snake. He actually, ah, you know, he jumps back scared because this thing came to life. And uh, God said, reach out, take hold of the snake. He takes a hold of it. It comes back into being a rod again. And so it's just one of the signs that God gave to Moses to show the people that Moses isn't walking alone. He's walking with God. The hand of God is on his life. And so God will take what is in your hand to show the world what the hand of God is on your life. So he asked this woman, he asked this woman, what do you have in the house? And she answered, it's, it's, it's a little bit telling. Uh, I don't know what Bible you use here, but for this particular message, I use the HCSB. And so it says, it says it this way in that version. It says, your servant has nothing except for a jar of oil. Just take that first little part, how she starts out answering the question, what do you have in the house? I've got nothing. I've got nothing except. See, if you say I've got nothing and then there's an exception, then you don't have nothing. Because there's something. And yet she said, your servant has nothing in the house except. And see, sometimes we think like this woman. And we think we don't have what it takes for God to move in our lives. We think we don't. And we will focus more on this nothing that we think we have. But the reality is we never have nothing. We never have nothing. We always have something. You got some breath in your lungs? You got something. You got some thoughts in your brains? You got something. You got a heart that's beating right now? You have something. And so somebody says, I don't have, I have nothing. We always have something. We always have something. You know, I was just preaching. Uh, this sister reminded me uh, because of the way she's amen in here uh, and just and giving me feedback. I love it. Uh, and so she's reminding me of how the people were in Uganda here a couple months ago. And uh, I'm not sure where you're from, sister, but, uh, but, uh, but that's, uh, that's awesome. You know, just she says, that, that she, she, uh, you go there and you think, they feel like they have nothing, but they have something. They have something. Everybody has something. Sometimes maybe the house is not very big. Maybe, uh, you know, the, the, the paycheck maybe is not very big. But don't ever fall into the trap where you think that you have nothing. We might only have a little, but at least you don't have nothing. Because even when you have a little bit of something, and again, I'm not, just ta- I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about whatever. A dream in your heart. A gift in your life. Something that your hand can do. This is what I'm talking about today. You have something. You have something. The pajamas are something. Don't think that pajamas, oh, that's the craziest thing I ever... No, that's, the, that's an awesome thing, especially when it comes from God. Because you know what God does? He looks over this community, and he sees the needs of this community like none of us can. I've heard her speak a word to that woman. Who was it? Who is it? Wave at me, whoever. Is she gone? Is she... Uh, praise God. Well, thank God for Tracy, whoever Tracy is. Uh, you know, hearing a word like that for a community, that's the way God moves in this day and age. And he can find, you know, the needs of a community. And then when we step into those needs, you know, where our church is in, this, in, in the center of Saskatoon, hunger is a need. There's a lot of empty cupboards. And uh, addiction is a need. So our church addresses hunger and addiction regularly, you know, weekly. We're constantly dealing with what the needs of our community are because we have something. 
And so we have something. So, you know, all this woman had was a jar of oil. She might have thought she had nothing, but she had a jar of oil. And so the man of God didn't go speak a word and say, God, please make something out of her nothing. No, no, no. He worked with the something that she had. You know, Jesus shared that parable the one time, the parable of the talents, where one guy had five and one guy had two and another guy had one. We're not going to all have the same amount of things. We're not going to have the same quantity. We're not going to have the same types of gifts that God puts inside our lives. But we're all going to have something. So in that parable of one having five and one having two, the guy with five turned his five into ten. The guy with two turned his two into four. What did the guy with one do? He buried it. He took what he had and he buried it in the ground. He didn't use what the master gave him. God gives everything, every one of us something. And so he put himself in a position of having nothing by refusing to do something with the something that he had. See, some people, uh, like this person who had the one talent, they think they have nothing, but they really have something. Yeah. It's that, it, the, the issue becomes, what are you doing with what you have? Right. What are you doing with what you have? Right. You know, I heard a story many years ago. Uh, I, I think it was in Dr. Cho's church or uh, in, in Korea, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure of that. But I heard this story about an offering being taken up in a church, and people were giving pledges. And uh, this one guy that some people would have said, he, he, you know, he maybe wasn't all there upstairs. They might have thought he was a little bit of a crazy guy or something. He put on an offering envelope a million dollars or whatever. He put some crazy big amount. And yet in his heart, he felt he should do that. And so he put this amount on the offering envelope and everybody just kind of looked at it and just thought, uh, yeah, right, like that'll ever come in. And then he had this idea after he did that is that he would go buy a big bag of salt and he would put it in small little packages. Little, at that time, they didn't have the salt packages that you get in restaurants with the paper and that. And he'd put them in little packages and then he'd go to restaurants and say, here, you can give this quantity of salt for one person for one meal. And he'd, he'd keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this. He fulfilled his pledge. <laughs> he made so much money, he became one of the biggest salt producers or whatever in his nation. Because God gave him an idea, and it seems like a crazy idea. We start with you know, a little package of salt. Is that going to do it? See, and sometimes, you know, what do we do with what we have? See, sometimes what we do is we bury what we have in the ground. Out of fear that if I give up what I have, you know, sometimes we have a misunderstanding of the master. And we'll compare the master to the master in that story where that guy says about the master, he says, he says, I thought you were a hard man. I thought you were a hard man. I knew you to be a hard man. You reap where you haven't sown and you, you gather where you haven't scattered seed. But you know what? Somebody who reaps where they haven't sown, that's a thief. Somebody who gathers where they haven't scattered seed, uh, seed that's a thief. And our Lord is not a thief. No, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, have it more abundantly. Amen? And so he's not a thief. And let's not misunderstand the master. So that if I give a, a, a gift into, into the master's hands, you know, I come from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. I've lived in Saskatoon the last 30 years. But I come from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And I feel that God called me to ministry when I was delivering newspapers in Prince Albert. I was a paper boy at age 17. That's too old to be a paper boy. But that's where I was in life. And I get the call of God on my life, you know, from, from, from this province. Or, you know, are we in Alberta? We're in Saskatchewan right now. Saskatchewan, right. Okay. So, so yeah, from the province of Saskatchewan. And God can call anybody from anywhere to anywhere. Amen. And so don't ever think, I'm too insignificant. I don't have a gift. Give what you have to God. I think, I, I, I can't put six words together to preach. Uh, try it. You know, if that's what you're called to do. And not everybody's called to preach. 
My wife preaches with, in a kitchen. And because she does what she does, we have hundreds of people who find their way to our church. Uh, a couple of weeks from now, Easter Sunday, we do Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas every year. We slay many turkeys. We don't slay them. We buy them uh, when they've already been uh, offered up uh, in some factory somewhere. And we'll buy these, uh, we'll buy these, get these turkeys going. And sometimes we'll do what? Like about 30, as many as 30 turkeys. Christmas, we served 1,000 people in the inner city of Saskatoon. And it found its way into the media. But that way, we're able to present the gospel to all those hungry turkey eaters. Sometimes we say the greatest evangelist in city center church is a turkey, you know, because <laughs> a turkey gave his life, you know, so that the gospel could be preached. And so, uh, so, but that's my wife's gift is she oversees, she doesn't cook all those turkeys herself, but she oversees uh, sometimes 150 volunteers. And so we have an army of people from what, 10 churches sometimes, 10 different churches who come together and people using their gifts. And uh, Thursday nights throughout the summer, we have an outreach uh, that I think six different churches participate in. And it's, uh, we're just giving out hamburgers and hot dogs. And so we set up outside our building. You know, when we got this building that we have, it was a former Safeway store before it was a bingo hall. And when we got this building, sh- this is how an evangelist thinks. The, uh, the, 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 most of the people were excited about the building. But the evangelist was excited about the parking lot. I was just... I thought, look at what we can do with that parking lot. And so sure enough, every Thursday night, we're feeding two, 300 people every Thursday night, every Thursday night, every Thursday night. And some people have come out of their comfort zones, and you wouldn't call them street preachers or evangelists by any stretch. But you know what they do? They come and they take a hamburger bun, and they put a happy face with ketchup. You say, would you like ketchup or mustard? And then whenever the person says what they want, they put two eyes and a happy face. Here you go. And they smile, and they give people a hamburger. And I know for those, some of those people, that is massively pulling them out of their comfort zone. But I love it when I see it. So I think, here's this person who lived a comfy life in some part of town, and now they are in the heart of the broken neighborhood, you know, that, that Riversdale in Saskatoon once was. God's changing it. Uh, and so, uh, and, and they're handing out a burger with a happy face on it. And if this is what they can do, then God wants to use that. You know, I have nothing except... See, here's a lady who, can you make, can you make a happy face on a hamburger bun? <laughs> so you got something. And so uh, let's keep going with this story. You know, this misunderstanding of the master, this, this guy believed his master was a thief in that parable of Jesus. Uh, his belief was, you know, he'd reap where he hadn't sown. He'd, he'd gather where he hadn't scattered seed. At the very least, you're a trespasser if you're not a thief. But see, that's not the master. That's not the master. If we live with the belief that our master's a thief then we won't give what we have into his hands. And he wants to give what we have. We'll bury it in the ground. We'll, we'll be trapped by a fear that, that if I step out, uh, I'm going to run out of what I have and I'm going to have nothing. But what kind of a view of the father do we have if that's what it was like? You know, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, again, I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about a dream inside your heart. I have a dream that God would take me to the nations. And so sometimes we'll buy a plane ticket not knowing, you know, will I be able to pay for this? That might sound a little crazy, uh, but uh, trusting God, that God, you'll meet the needs for this trip and for that trip. And I think the last 10 trips I've been on have been like that. And yet I just keep going and I just keep going. And every trip, God supplies. And every trip, God supplies. And I'm giving him something every time I throw my faith out there and just say, God, I believe you called me to go there. Let me tell you what happened in Dominican. This is crazy. I didn't realize Dominican was such a poor nation. And I'm preaching this really, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of the favelas. Have anybody heard of the favelas of Rio? 
It's like the barrios. It's, it's the, sort of the scariest, worst neighborhoods. And so I preach in a neighborhood like that in Santo Domingo. We're coming back from uh, this church where we're shared at, at that night. And I fell asleep. It was late. It was like 11, 1130 at night. I fell asleep in the front of this truck. But here's how God provides. You know, you give him, uh, you, you give him your, your life, I guess, and he, let him take you where he takes you. And so if I end up in some nasty burial in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, then God will take care of me when I get there. And so the night before I preach in that pretty scary neighborhood, uh, a guy who's quite high up in the Dominican military was in the service the night before. He said, if you're going to that neighborhood tomorrow, I never go in that neighborhood without a gun. And so, so he says, I'm coming with you guys. In fact, I'll drive you. We thought, okay, cool. So he shows up the next day. Sure enough, he's got a gun in his pants right here. And I thought, wow. And so he tells the young man that's with me, he says, yeah, I, I never go into that neighborhood without a gun. And we're kind of like, yeah, yeah, we saw that. He goes, no, 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 that's not, that's not the gun. He walks over to his truck and he flips his front seat forward and he's got a gun <laughs> behind the seat in his truck. He's got a big, nasty looking, I don't know, AK-47 or some huge gun behind his seat. I think, is it that bad in that neighborhood? And so there he is. We shows up and they go, well, we're coming back from church. And I fell asleep in the front seat, and it's hot, and so the windows were open, and I fell asleep after his preaching, and, and uh, two cars came on both sides of us and blockaded us on, on a busy street, and a truck stopped in front of us, flipped the hood up, and a guy comes running out of the truck with a machete running towards us. It all lasted about five seconds, <laughs> because a machete versus gun uh, doesn't work. And so this guy, he's got his gun right here. He just, I, I'm sleeping. I didn't see any of this. Uh, but the young man I brought with me in the back seat saw all of it. And he just went like this with the gun and leaned on the horn. And the guy with the machete jumped back in the truck. The hood was down and the car took off. And I woke up. I woke up when he beat the horn. And uh, later I had the young man share that testimony in church. And I'm like, there was a machete? <laughs> like, I had no idea. Like Jesus in the back of the boat, you know, asleep with his head on a pillow. You know, I had no idea any of that happened. But I've had stuff like that happen repeatedly uh, in different nations around the world. And yet God protects and God provides because he's got some evangelists in Dominican Republic and in Uganda and in India and in Sri Lanka that I'm not going to reach those countries. I don't speak their languages. But we go and we try to reach uh, into leaders' lives and lift up their hands like I'm trying here today. Hopefully what I'm sharing is making some sense to you so far uh, that God wants you to reach your community. You're the most uh, uh, well-equipped. You know Lloyd like no one else does. You know this culture. You know this world. You know this city. You know the many, probably many of the people of this city. And so, you know, don't ever live with the belief that, you know, the master's a thief and, uh, and that you don't have anything to give. You have something to give. Sister, you have something to give. Second row, you have something to give. You have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. I, I don't know why I'm saying that, but uh, let's come back to that question from the first story. Elisha asked the woman, what do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? And when the woman told Elisha she had a jar of oil, then now Elisha's got something to work with. And when we present what we have to God, God's got something to work with. When you went to school and you learned how to multiply, uh, you learned that if you multiply anything by zero, what is your end result? Zero. zero. But you know, you can have just even a little part of something, a fraction of something. You maybe don't even have everything. You have less than a whole number. Even if you multiply that fraction of something by something, you actually can get increase in your life. So say, I don't have anything. All I have is 0.0001. Guess what? 0.0001 times 2 equals 0.0002. 
And that's what God likes to do in our lives. It's because when we don't offer who we are and what we have to God, we take away his ability to multiply in our lives. We rob him of the ability to multiply. The power of multiplication is stolen from our lives if we ever believe the lie that we have nothing because even God can't multiply nothing. And it's, it's a lie somehow that we're stuck on the earth with nothing. We often have something uh, and, and we're just not doing anything with it. So I'm challenging you today to think about the things that God has placed inside your life. Some of you are good at fixing cars. Some of you uh, are wonderful with uh, young moms. Some of you uh, are business people and that's just the way your mind thinks. Some of you, you're gifted to work with teenagers or youth. Some of you might be able to help the addicted. And I'm challenging you as to who you are and what God's placed inside of you. Some of you I see, uh, this is a racially diverse church, and I love it. This is what heaven's going to be like. And, and some of you perhaps are coming from different nations of the world, and you speak a language that you brought, that you came into Canada, and maybe this other language was your first language. You know, I made the two ladies at the hotel that we're staying at so happy today, just because I said, and which means in Tagalog, I have been to the Philippines six times. And those two ladies, oh! They're so happy that I said, who's the big white dude who can speak my language? I can't speak their language. That's all I can say. And so I said it to people all over. My wife gets so embarrassed because I'll say it to to Filipino people that we see in random places. And then they'll answer me sometimes in Tagalog. And I'm kind of like, "Uh, sorry, can't, can't go anywhere with this conversation. Can we go to English now? And so... So when I'm talking about offering what you have to God, I just want you to stop and think. You know, because I'm not just talking about, I'm not asking for an offering. I'm not, I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about knowledge. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about peace. I'm talking about callings. I'm talking about vision. What do you have in your life? What do you have in the house was the question. Give your vision to God. God will give you more. Give your calling to God. God will give you more. Uh, give your, give your, you know, your peace to God. You say, I don't have any peace in my life. Well, give the fraction of peace that you have in your life to God. And Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. He says, I'll give you peace. And so let's give him what we have. And you know, the cool thing is, is that when we give God what we have, and sometimes we'll take, you know, joy, you know, we'll take the happiness or the whatever that the world might offer. And you say, you know what? I give that up because I want your joy, Father. And instead of getting a counterfeit, we get the real thing. Amen? So let's get further into this story. This woman was asked to go borrow empty containers wherever she could find them. She was told to go to everyone, to all of her neighbors. She was told specifically, go get a lot of them. Don't get just a few. She was told. I want you to think for a moment. Let's take this Old Testament story. Let's bring it into where we're at in a new covenant life. And just think of all the people that you cross paths with in a given week that are far from the fullness of God in their lives, that they don't have Jesus Christ at work in their life. They don't have perhaps the knowledge that you have. They don't understand the word of God like you might understand. They don't understand what Jesus has for them like you understand what Jesus has for you. These two are empty containers There's lots of empty containers walking around Lloydminster, Saskatchewan, Lloydminster, Alberta. And there's lots of people who are empty containers, and we are called to go collect them. Go find me some empty containers. And we're called to gather those empty containers and bring them to a place where they can be filled with the fullness of God. Sometimes that's church. Many times that's church. For a long 
standing walk with God, it needs to be church somewhere. Uh, and you know what? I've led many people to Christ in my city who don't go to my church. I've led many people to Christ, and it was more fitting that they be planted in this church over there. And I work with other pastors on a regular basis. Uh, and yet, you know, there's other times where it fits the best for them to come with you and sitting next to you in church. He said, go find me some empty containers. Don't get just a few. Don't get just a few. You know, a human life was never created by God to be an empty container. God never made a single human soul. And yet, I look at people sometimes, and, and, and it's emptiness on the inside. It's an emptiness. My wife and I, we took a team to Romania. We're going back there this summer. We were in Romania a couple of years ago, and we did a children's conference, a children's camp, I guess it was, not a conference, a children's camp, and then a youth camp was scheduled for the next day. And the team of people that we had, all of us had done some work with children. None of us had done any work with teens, and so little tiny bits. We were scared. We honestly were sort of scared. We just thought, what are we going to do with teens? You know, there are going to be a bunch of teens sitting on their phones. This is boring. You know, we thought we had these attitudes. We thought, let's just give it a go and let's try. And, and the gypsy people, oh my, 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 my. The gypsy people, even the gypsy pastors, they live in a corrupt nation. And sometimes the pastors themselves are corrupt. And so all people have ever seen in their whole life in relation to the things of God is something that's deceptive and fraudulent. They haven't seen the real thing. And so... We had these kids out around this campfire, and we're just, you know, trying to minister to them, but it was like trying to minister to a bunch of empty shells. And I remember standing there just thinking, God, what to do, what to do? You know, um, how, we need a breakthrough. And, we're, and these kids are just sitting there. And then God gave me a picture of something very random of this young lady that goes to our church in the middle of Saskatoon. She's worked the streets. She's tried every drug known to a man, I'm sure. She's a young lady that's just had a very, very rough life. And um, the one thing about Angelina that's pretty powerful is that in spite of all the insanity that is her life, even still to this day, she still needs freedom in many places, she'll come into church and she'll walk right up here to the front of church and she'll lose herself in praise and worship. And God gave me that picture. And I shared that story, and something, something made sense to someone amongst those Romanian gypsy people uh, that, 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 that I've got emptiness, and if I just opened up my heart and offer who I am to God, that he could fill that emptiness. And then one lady started to pray for one of the teenage girls, and then another, and then another, and then tears began to flow, and then we had breakthrough in that meeting. And the Spirit of God began to move amongst those gypsy people. And they could see that, you know what, there are people who can have legitimate walks with God and that you can have a relationship with him and you can have, uh, you know, his spirit touch your life in a powerful way. You know, I think about that one guy who buried his talent in the ground. He feared doing something with what he had because he didn't understand who the master was. You know, verse four in the passage I read, the instruction was, go in, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour oil into all these containers and set the full ones to one side. I'll tell you, as an evangelist, that verse doesn't necessarily flow with how we might know evangelists to be. Because evangelists, you might think, go out into the world and pour oil in all the empty containers that you can find. But that's not what he told them to do. He said, come in your house, close the door, and pour oil into every one of those empty containers. What's the parallel for us? Go in and shut the door behind you and pour oil into these containers. The parallel for us is a life of prayer in the secret place. Jesus Christ impacted lives, but Jesus Christ was a man of prayer. 
And Jesus Christ would spend, he's Jesus. And did he spend all night on the mountain in prayer? He would go to what, you know, out into the wilderness. That was his secret place. And he'd go in the secret place and he'd pray. And he'd talk to God and then the day would come and he'd heal the sick and he'd cast out demons and he'd, he'd see people's lives changed and transformed because he poured the anointing that God put on his life into them in that secret place of prayer. And so he'd pray behind closed doors, and that's where we can take what we have, that jar of oil, often compared to anointing throughout the scriptures, and take that jar of oil in our lives and pour it out into every empty container you think. You walk past somebody who's maybe going through a hard time because maybe they lost their job in the oil industry, or, or they're, they're having a tough time paying their bills. Get in the secret place and pray for them. And then go to that person after God gives you, because when you pray for people, God will give you how to approach them, what to say to them, where, where to go with them, what not to say sometimes. How many of you ever said something you shouldn't have said? I probably have about five times today just while I'm preaching. Uh, but, uh, uh, and so that's the, the flaw of the evangelist. Our mouth goes ahead of our feet sometimes. And so, uh, and so, you know, we're to pour what God puts in our hearts into the empty containers and pour out our hearts to God in the secret place. And inevitably, as we do this before God, he'll call us to step out and reach out to others. If you try to reach out to people you haven't prayed for, you're going to have a hard time. Have you ever ever experienced this? Try to share your faith with somebody, but you've not spent five minutes praying for that person. It's like banging your head on a wall. But if you get on your face and you say, God... I'm standing in the gap for this person. I, 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 I'm praying for my friend. It's, you know, some of you young people, pray for your friend at school. Pray for that bully. Pray for that snobby kid that, you know, nobody likes. You know, pray for the, uh, you know, the, the outcast or, you know, pray for someone and pray for them, pray for them, pray for them and watch God give you a word for that person. Watch him open up some doors that you can't open up. And so if you reach out to those that you have poured your oil into during times in the secret place, you're going to find you're going to have lots more powerful results. You will, because God calls us to pray for people. He calls us to pray for the empty containers that surround us. And we're called to spend some time behind closed doors, pouring out of the anointing until those empty containers become full. And then the scripture says, take those empty containers, set them to the side, and then start praying for some other folks. Guess what? Because there's lots of people. We're called to pray some victories into people's lives. We're called to pray, and when they have their victory, we, we say, you know, where, where's the next empty container? So this woman did as she was instructed to do by the man of God. She started pouring out what she had, even though what she had wasn't much. I got nothing except for this jar of oil. We don't know how big it was. But she says, I don't have anything. So she starts to pour it out, and she fills one empty container. Can go to container number two. She pours it out. She fills container number two. Let's go to container number three. She goes to container number three. And she starts filling these empty containers. And I think by the time she maybe got to two or three or four or seven or 18, she's starting to realize something supernatural is taking place here. That as I pour out, God, you just keep pouring in. I don't know how this is happening, but I'm going to keep on doing it. And so she filled the second container. She filled the third container. And she sees that something supernatural is taking place, that God is multiplying as she gives out. Because God pours back into our lives when we pour out into others. And that miracle is going to continue as long as we keep finding empty containers to pour ourselves into. Amen? Amen. So I've never found an empty container. I don't share my faith with people. Maybe get started. And you might think, uh, well, I, I'm not very good at anything. Well, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a preacher. I, 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 you know what? Nobody has nothing. There's not a single soul in this room who has nothing. And so what is the gift that you have? 
man, I was sharing in, in Colombia in September. And uh, I often will get down on my knees uh, and pray over people's feet. Because the feet are symbolic. The feet are, uh, the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those. And I was having an invitation like that, like we may well have before we're done here today. I was praying over people that they would see what God's called them to do and how they can reach the world. And God gave me a random word to me. And the word was puppets. So I'm in the middle of this intense invitation. I said, is there anybody here who uses puppets? And there was a lady far on the left side. It was a rather big church. I walk over to, the, to, to this lady. I said, do you use puppets? And she says, yeah, yeah, I use puppets. I just walked up to her like this. And I took her hand. I just took her hand and I said... And as soon as I took your hand, just like when I took your hand. Um, wow. Just even coming back to that moment. I couldn't even spit out the next sentence. I had to kind of one word at a time say, because the anointing of God hit me from that lady so powerfully that all I could say was, you have an anointing from God. I had tears streaming down my face. She has tears streaming down her face. And it was all over the word puppets. I can't even imagine what she's done. I said, what do you do? And she said, she's a school teacher. I said, use those puppets to preach the gospel of the kingdom. I can't even imagine what these little Colombian puppets are doing. They're probably having revival everywhere. It's like, what do you know? You know, just like going everywhere throughout Colombia, preaching Jesus. Because God, you know, he's not limited by the ways he wants to reach people. There's 7 billion people in the world. There might well be 7 billion methods to reach them. There'll never be a shortage of empty containers. Always more than enough hurting people for us to pour the oil God gave us into them. You know, Jesus shared that parable of a great banquet that was prepared. And uh, there, were, there were many that were too busy to receive the invitation that was given to them. So then the master sent his servants to go out to the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And yet, even after doing that, the Bible says there was still room at the banquet. You know, Luke 14, verse 22. This one's out of the New King James. It says, Master, it's done as you commanded. And yet, there's still room. The master said to the servant, Luke 14, 22. Says, he says, go into the highways and hedges. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You know, if we ever think we've run out of people to go to, I know in Saskatoon you can do this. I don't know. Is there a street or is there a place in Lloyd where people gather that are broken, that are hurt, that are aimless, wandering? Go find those people. And go to those people. Do you know, darkness is always going to be impacted the most, you know, when we shine a light in the middle of darkness. Light, you know, what we're supposed to carry, it makes its most power, most impact in the middle of the deepest, darkest darkness. And, and so if I was to go stand out in a wheat field outside of Lloydminster on a sunny day in the middle of July and stand in the middle of a field and light a match, hey, everybody, look at me. No one's even going to notice. You know, I was to stand in a big parking lot and do it, you know, right in the middle of Lloyd, you know, over at the power center over there. And light my match in the middle of a sunny day, bright, light all around me. Now, see, if I go into the deepest darkness, if I go to the darkest place I can find and I light a match, everybody notices it. I was just reading a story about those miners that got trapped. I think somebody made a movie about it. And those miners, could you imagine being 200 floors under, underground? Total darkness. And somebody light a match in the middle of that, and you're everybody's friend. 
you know, and see, so we're called to make a difference. Uh, I think about, you know, going to the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Who, who is that? Man, interpret it however you might. Because there's no shortage of hurting people in the world. There might be some friend on your street who's going through a terrible divorce right now. They're maimed. It's like ripping your arm off when a marriage falls apart. And some of you have been through it, and you know what it feels like and the pain that it is. And for some of you who've been through some painful things, I don't believe God took you through those things. God brought those things to you, but God brought you through those things. And some of you have been in some deep valleys. You know what? The fact that you've been in some deep valleys, that's for you, sister. You've been through some deep valleys, and you go through these deep valleys. God wants to take the comfort that he gives you, and he wants you to comfort someone else with the comfort that you've been given. You know, I preached in the jails a lot the last couple of decades. And I'll tell the guys in jail, you know what? God didn't set you up for, you know, all the, all the bad decisions you made and your ticket into the, into, into the correctional center. But he can take all of, the, all of the mess ups in your life and all of the things that you, he can take those things and what was meant for evil, he can flip them around and use them for good. And the fact that you've been through, you know, 50 drug deals and that you've had your head kicked in and that you've been punched out and that you were part of a gang and that you did this and you did that. You know what? God can take those experiences and he can help the next young guy who's coming along and you can share your story and you can rescue someone from darkness. You know, we've seen so many miracles on the streets where empty containers are often found. We preach all year. We have street outreach when it's 20 below in the middle of winter. We just open up our doors and just, you know, cook some hot dogs, make some hot chocolate and some coffee, and just say, hey, come on in. And it's, you know, not as big scale as in the summer as we could reach to hundreds and hundreds in our parking lot. But, you know, I led a crystal meth addict to Christ about two weeks ago. Just an awesome time. She, she had heard of, uh, you know, the creator, she said. She was a First Nations woman. She said, she said, I've heard of the creator, but I really have not heard much about Jesus, so let me tell you about him. And she said, you know, I need something to keep me off of crystal meth. I said, Jesus can do this. And so, so go find an empty container. Go find an empty container and bring that person to him. You know, most of the miracles Jesus performed, do, do you know that they weren't in church? They were out in public places. They were out in the streets. They were out in the lanes. They were out, in, out where the people are. And God wants us to move in, in these ways through the miraculous. But if we don't believe that we're the ones that could do this, we'll never do this. If we don't believe that we could pray for the sick and that they'd recover, if we don't believe that we could cast the devil out of someone and that devil's going to go out of someone, then we'll never do these things. But God calls us to do these things. You know, I was preaching in Indonesia, in Papua, Indonesia, uh, in 2011. And uh, I didn't, felt that the Lord called me to pray for kids, 12 and under. I said, if you're 12 and under, come up here. I'm going to pray for kids today. I prayed for all the kids. Just laid hands on them, prayed for them. I'll just be honest with you. Nothing spectacular, nothing dramatic happened. You know, we prayed for the kids. Went home after the service. Hallelujah. I came back two years later, 2013. A female pastor comes up to me and she says, I want to thank you for praying for the kids that night when you, last time you were here two years ago. I said, really? Okay, you're welcome. What happened? She goes, oh, no, no. Let me tell you what happened. We have a young girl that's 11 years old. Her name is Lala, La Laura or something like that, but they called her Lala. They said Lala went home and she had a vision from God of heaven and of hell. It was so graphic and so powerful and so connected to the scriptures, so bang on with the word of God 
The the pastor brought her up into church and had her share her vision. Men fell out of their chairs. They ran to the front to get their lives right with God. People repented when they heard the power of this little 11-year-old girl sharing this testimony of the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. She said she saw pastors in hell. She saw people in heaven that she didn't expect to be there. And she told this, she, she shared this story. So they brought her to another church. Same thing happened. They brought her to another church. Same thing happened. By the time 2013 came around, she had been to 12 cities in Indonesia. And 4,800 people had been water baptized through the ministry of a preteen girl. And they came to my hotel room and they said, Brad, we want you to pray for Lala. I'll never forget what I did. I fell to my knees. I said, no, I want Lala to pray for me. And the word gave me, God gave me for Lala was Lester Sumrall. That Lester Sumrall saw a vision, some of you know who he is, of a waterfall and people going over that waterfall into eternity without God. For 60 plus years of his life, he preached the gospel in nations all around the world because that vision wouldn't depart from his heart. And God showed me that Lala will do this for the rest of her days. And she'll lead multiplied tens of thousands of people to Christ. And she's an 11-year-old girl. She said, pray for me. The kids in my school don't understand me. I said, no doubt. Wow. Ah. God wants to use you. He wants to use you. You know, I think about this guy. You know, we, we do the street outreach in Saskatoon for a lot of years, and sometimes we'll go to the streets, and sometimes we'll just, we'll just stay in our building and let people come to, you know, invite people to come to us, sit around a table, have a hot dog, share Christ with them. I'm... Uh, I'm sharing on, on the streets, just not far from where our church is in city center a few years ago. And uh, there's a guy with a crooked eye. You ever talk, try to talk to someone who's got a crooked eye? It's hard to look him in the eye because one eye's there and one eye's looking over there. And so while I'm talking to him, and I'm not even talking to him about healing. I never said to him, hey, Jesus wants to heal your crooked eye. I didn't say anything like that to him. Jesus healed his crooked eye right in front of me. So I'm talking to him, and the guy's name was Scott. I said, hey, Scott, Jesus just healed your crooked eye. He turns around, and he looked in a store window that was right there. He looked at the reflection of his eye in the store window. He jumped back, and he's like, whoa. He had been punched in the head in the Saskatchewan Federal Penitentiary in Prince Albert, and he was blind in that eye for six and a half years. And in a moment, without anybody saying, you know, without anybody, in the name of Jesus, you know, know, some... High holy evangelistic prayer. Just Jesus' desire to heal and save people. And the simple fact that we go out and offer him the little bit that we have is, hey, buddy, you need to be saved from your sins, which is all we were preaching to him about. And while we're preaching to him about how Jesus wants to save him, Jesus heals him. And then my buddy that was with me, a young, young man that was with me that night, he gets him to do what the big, the big name evangelist guys do. He said, cover up your good eye. How many fingers do you see? Two fingers, three fingers. And, and, and the guy could see out of this eye. See, that's, that's in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. That's not in a crusade in Africa. Because I think sometimes we convince ourselves that the miracles can't happen here, that they only happen somewhere over there. No, they can happen here. They can happen here. But God needs people who will give what we have to him. 
What do you have in the house? What's in your hand? Don't say, I have nothing. Say, I have nothing except. And then whatever the first thing that comes into your heart and your mind uh, as the exception to that nothing, God wants to take that and he wants to use it. Amen? Amen? The word for you and I from God is, bring me another container. Bring me another container. God is looking for people he wants to pour his life and his goodness into. If we can pour, uh, you know, his fullness into their lives, man, he'll keep pouring his fullness into your life. You know, you want to you have kind of never-ending joy? Then give joy to other people. And God will give you more, and God will give you more, and God will give you more. And when you give out, God will take care of you. You know, I was the outreach director in the first church where I was on staff for a lot of years. And there was a prophetic word. I'm just wrapping up here. We'll pray for some people. Um, there was a prophetic word that was shared over our church in suburban uh, Lawson Heights, nice, wealthy neighborhood of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. It's where the church I was part of for 17 years. And the word was, if you go after the people that nobody wants, I'll give you the people that everybody wants. And I remember when that prophetic word was shared by a man of God who was visiting our church in the 90s. Everybody went crazy. The place just erupted. Woo! Go to the people nobody wants. He'll give us the people that everybody wants. And so I know what people's thoughts were because I know what my own thoughts were. My thoughts were, if we go after the drug addict or the prostitute or the, 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 the person who's stuck in poverty or the, you know, whatever, if we go after some harder, tough cases, God's going to give us doctors and lawyers and business owners and, uh, and he's, and he's going to give us all these wonderful, amazing people. Didn't unfold that way. Because out of that word, we planted an inner city church. And for years now, we continue to go after the people that nobody wants. But here's what I discovered one day. I discovered that the people that nobody wanted and the people that everybody wanted are the same people. They're the exact same people. Just add Jesus Christ to their life. You go after that person who's got emptiness in their life and Jesus finds his way to fill that emptiness of that heart. And that person that nobody wants becomes that person that everybody wants. You know, we got a young lady in our church that was a crystal meth addict she, had no, she has six kids now. I think she had about four when we first started ministering to her. She, uh, she lost all her kids, though, because of this habit. Crystal meth is terrible. It's full of every kind of crazy household poison you could think of. It's insane that people would actually put this into their body. And it'll destroy you so badly. Um, some addictions counselors say you can't be free of it. That, that, but God can do anything. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I've heard 0% even. Three is pretty bad, though. And they'll say it's terrible. And so, you know, just think of putting ammonia and, you know, other household chemicals into your system. Well, so she was addicted to this. She got all her kids taken away. And when she started to open up her heart to the gospel, she received Christ into her life. She, she got free of this drug, supernatural. That's an awesome miracle in itself. Got all her kids back. Uh, we have a program where she received her driver's license and finished her high school. The craziest thing is she actually ended up working in a doctor's office where she had keys to the medicine cabinet. <laughs> just, that makes no sense. You don't give the keys to the medicine cabinet to an ex-drug addict. But she was changed on the inside. God could turn the people that nobody wants into the people that everybody wants. Why? Because he's God. 
and he's in the life-transforming business. And so, can you be one of the ones who brings him another container? Can you be one of those ones? You start with ourselves, you know, more of him, less of us. He must increase, we must decrease. You know, if we empty ourselves of the things that shouldn't be there, then God gives us, you know, gives God more room to move in our lives.